You're listening to the House of Cards, the voice of gaming in New Jersey, on AM 1360 WNJC. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We've got a really good show today or tonight, depending on when you're listening. We got a guy that is really up my alley. I had a lot of fun talking to him. This is a an historian, a New Jersey historian, Nelson Johnson, who has written the history of Atlantic City before the re- the rebirth of gambling. The guy he wrote about the history of Atlantic City from the turn of the century up till about the 60s when Atlantic City was a wide open town, something I didn't know anything about. He's going to talk about that, talk about his book. And his book, Boardwalk Empire, has been made into an HBO series, a very interesting guy, a very interesting interview. And then we've got the author of the real story of Nucky Johnson. The book he's just written is called Nucky. He's a lawyer, retired and somebody who knew Nucky Johnson uh, in his later years, but who has tons of stories, has done great primary source research about Nucky Johnson and shares them in his book, Nucky. We're going to be talking to him. So I hope you listen. We'll also have a mailbag segment, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you as soon as the break is over. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Come play for your chance to win a seat at the World Series of Poker main event. It's Poker for Life's ninth annual poker tournament, April 24th at the Tunnel in New York City. Poker for Life has already raised over $2 million for the Bonaconti Fund. Register online at PokerForLife.org before April 18th, and you'll have a chance for a $1,500 entry to a Borgata Poker event. Again, that's PokerTheNumber4Life.org. Poker for Life, April 24th at the Tunnel. Doors open at 6. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to BZ.com. 
Bizit is your number one online auction source for brand name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75, 85, and 99% off retail. Go to Bizit.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to Bizid.com. B-E-E-Z-I-D.com. Bizid.com. The key to winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments. Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. You're listening to the House of Cards, the voice of gaming in New Jersey. Follow the show on Twitter at HOC Radio. You are more in need of a night in Atlantic City than any man I've ever met. I'd say sit down at a table, go for dinner, see a show, take a walk on the boardwalk and smell the salt air. But if you're anything like me, nothing after sit down at the table is going to happen. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And uh, I want to start this segment with a confession. And the confession is that I like to think of myself as a pretty darn smart guy who knows a lot about American history, especially about gambling history. But my confession is that my understanding of Atlantic City history was completely wrong. And we're going to have a guest to set it straight. But just so you understand, I grew up in New York. Uh, lived with my grandparents back in the 60s and heard stories about Atlantic City as this lovely place where retirees gathered and they went to the beach and the boardwalk and there were shows and Miss America pageants. And that's what I thought Atlantic City was before the big bad casinos of the 70s came in, that it was a kind of wholesome American place that you'd go to with your parents or your grandparents and get saltwater taffy and go to the beach and walk on the boardwalk. And that was it until the casinos took over and then... In my grandparents' uh, words, everything went downhill from there. However, I was fortunate enough to get a book called Boardwalk Empire. And this evening, we are fortunate enough to have the author, New Jersey historian Nelson Johnson, join us to set us all straight on the true history of Atlantic City. Nelson, are you there? Yes, I am. I'll, I'll do my best to set you straight. That, that was an interesting introduction. I, I don't think you're quite that uninformed, but uh, I, I, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to be on your show. Great. Well, now you are the author of Boardwalk Empire, and I will confess to our listeners that I have not read the whole book. I just read a couple of the chapters and then skimmed through the rest just so I could come up to speed quickly enough to ask at least marginally intelligent questions of you. So why don't you start by giving us an overview of what Atlantic City really was all about prior to the 1970s. Why don't you start at the turn of the century and give us an overview. One of the best overviews I can give you was from a gentleman that I interviewed 
years ago. He, he, he came to Atlantic City at the age of 10 in 1905, and I was pressing him for, you know, why was this town always so corrupt? Why was it, you know, always problems with the law? And his response was very interesting. He said, if the people who came to town had wanted Bible readings, we'd have given them that. But no one ever asked for Bible readings. They wanted booze, broads, and gambling, so that's what we gave him. And what this gentleman was explaining was that the visitor, because that's all Atlantic City lives for, is to provide entertainment to visitors, that the visitor sets the tone of what type of entertainment will be offered. And in the first half of the 20th century, the blue-collar worker coming out of Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, uh, they were looking for booze, broads, and gambling. They weren't looking for a wholesome resort. Uh, And Atlantic City flourished by being an unwholesome resort. Uh, In fact, prohibition simply didn't happen in Atlantic City. So you Uh, could go, so when my grandfather who grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and was a poor boy, but then started in sales, clothing sales, in the uh, late teens, early 20s. He was a haberdasher, and he worked for Mo Levy's, which was a big men's clothing store. Sure, I know who that is, yeah. Yeah, and he had had money in his pocket, and he was an adventurous young guy. He ended up starting his own haberdashery store, but... He would go and they'd go to the Catskills, but I believe he probably went to Atlantic City. And when he went to Atlantic City back in the 20s, he had, if he wanted, now my grandfather, of course, was a moral saint, at least in the um, in our family history. That's what I was told. But if he wanted to, he could have had any of the speakeasies down there were fully open, fully licensed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, during Prohibition, Atlantic City ran a very wide-open town, and the biggest reason for their ability to do that was the clout of their political boss, Nucky Johnson, who was wired very tight into the Republican organization, had lots of friends in the Democratic Party, uh, and Atlantic City was sort of treated as hands-off during Prohibition. Uh, and that's the thing that excited HBO because they they saw this period during Prohibition where Atlantic City really flourished and there was this political boss named Nucky. And so that, that was the springboard for HBO's you know, interest you know, in the book. So who did they have to do all the... the uh the cinematography and the pictures and stuff. Well, that, the, 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 person, the person who's the overall producer and, and the creative the director is Terrence Winter, who was the same gentleman who won a couple Emmys working with The Sopranos. Oh, uh, wow. and, and, he, and, and Martin Scorsese directed the pilot for the first show, uh, and Steve Buscemi's playing Nucky, and there's a lot of big, a lot of big name performers in it. And I, I've been to the set, I've watched them film, I see what they're doing, and it's very exciting. They, they've, they've taken uh, my book, used it as an inspiration, and they've created something that's going to be, think, I think, very entertaining. Very so entertaining. paint us a picture of walking on the boardwalk or in downtown Atlantic City in the 1920s. What, what was it like? Paint us a word picture so that our listeners get a sense of what Atlantic City was really like back then. Well, if you want to, if, if, if you want to think of Times Square by the sea, that, that's what it was. I mean, Atlantic City was a tryout town. It was a tryout town for entertainment. It was a tryout town for products. It was a tryout town for clothing. And so the leading manufacturers and, and the leading purveyors of various kinds of goods would bring their wares to the boardwalk because they knew there would be millions of people there during the summer. 
and that would be where they would they would expose their their new lines of goods. For example, General Motors unveiled the Chevrolet there uh, in, at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, every year for like 50 years. Uh, and the same was true of, of jewelry and watches and clothing, uh, different types of food, uh, many, many shows got a tryout in Atlantic City on the boardwalk in the summer before going to Broadway in the fall. So so Atlantic City was a very busy place during the summers, during the first half of the 20th century, and it was sort of like a, like a miniature Times Square by the water. But it was, but that's not a full picture because you're also saying that there was prostitution and gambling oh, yeah. and alcohol. Yeah. Well, there wasn't that in Times Square, at least not openly. Remember, remember this. If you, if you look at American history, you, you, you'll, you'll see that before there was prohibition, there was what they called bishop laws, which said no booze on Sundays. And Atlantic City's response to that was, what do you mean no booze on Sundays? That's our busiest day of the week. So Atlantic City was violating the bishop's laws consistently for like 30 years. And when prohibition came, intellectually, it was a pretty easy leap to go from violating it one day a week to seven days a week. And, and that's exactly what they did. In terms of prostitution, there were, there were several districts and there were, and there were many uh, brothels where prostitution was available. And gambling, gambling was very wide open. When the FBI came to town at the end of the 1930s to try to get Nucky Johnson, which they, they eventually did do, uh, when they came to town, they found the gambling operations wide open on Atlantic Avenue uh, and on all the major thoroughfares. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Come play for your chance to win a seat at the World Series of Poker main event. It's Poker for Life's ninth annual poker tournament, April 24th at the Tunnel in New York City. Poker for Life has already raised over $2 million for the Bonaconti Fund. Register online at PokerForLife.org before April 18th, and you'll have a chance for a $1,500 entry to a Borgata poker event. Again, that's PokerThenumber4Life.org. Poker for Life, April 24th at the Tunnel. Doors open at 6. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Call us at 609-474-HOCR and leave a message for Ashley and the rest of the House of Cards crew. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards hotline. Available 24 hours a day. You're listening to the House of Cards. Poker. 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 I shall give it to you in a word. Poker. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We're talking to... New Jersey historian Nelson Johnson, who has written a great book about the history of Atlantic City, the underground history, so to speak, called Boardwalk Empires, a series on HBO. So could you walk down the boardwalk and walk into a brothel, or did you have to walk off the boardwalk to the special you, you, district? You, you would have to walk off the boardwalk to get to a brothel or a gambling room, but they were very easy to find. And was there open alcohol on the boardwalk, or did you also have to go to some special areas? There, 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 
there would be restaurants on the boardwalk and hotels on the boardwalk where you could get a drink very easily. Yes, of course. So I'm curious about a number of things about this, uh, Nelson. We're talking to Nelson Johnson, who's a New Jersey historian, who's written a great book that's going to be an HBO special called, called Boardwalk Empire. Is that what, by the way, is that what the HBO special is called, too? Oh, yeah. So starting August 16th, you won't be able to miss the advertising. They're going to do a national advertising campaign for and, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, fantastic. Uh, were the huge gamblers of the turn of the century often down there, like uh, Vanderbilt or Diamond Jim Brady or the people that were up in Saratoga? Well, Di- Diamond, yeah, Diamond Jim Brady for sure. I, 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 I won't say Vanderbilt, but Diamond Jim Brady for sure frequent in Atlantic City regularly, yeah. So, uh, so, 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 so did William Randolph Hearst. How long did this last? This last into the fifties. Yeah, the the the, the, the Atlantic, Atlantic City's peak period was probably like eighteen eighty five to nineteen sixty five, and then in the sixties, just things just got worse and worse. But 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 in terms of it being a a wide open town. Uh, that period, I'm going to say the end of the 19th century, right on into the middle. of Gambling sort of got shut down during World War II because the Army came to town, used all the hotels as as places for housing troops and training them on the beach. And the the Army was worried about their troops losing money. Uh, The brothels continued, but the the gambling operations got shut down during the 40s, but then they reopened again in the 50s. But then the whole traffic to the town died down, and a a lot of gambling interest went out to Vegas. But I was in New York in the 60s, and in the early 60s, people could still, and I imagine a lot of people did, go down to Atlantic City to gamble? No, no. If you you wanted to gamble in Atlantic City in the 50s, you were then going to do it in places like the 500 Club, like like the uh, Penn Atlantic Hotel. There were there were there were bars and rooms where they had gambling rooms in the back, and they would be mini casinos. I'm saying during during the tens, the twenties, the thirties, there were there were large properties that did gambling. And then when World War II came, they got shut down in F- indefinitely, and they I didn't see. what to do. I see. So before World War II large Saratoga-like casinos that operated pretty much in the open, big grand yeah. places. And then after World War II, yes, there was still some gambling, but it was more backroom, underground, smaller, more um, more hidden. You you summarized it very well. That that was the case, correct. Oh, that, that's very interesting. I didn't know anything about that. But you still did have it until it pretty much died completely by the late 60s, and any gambling action then had all pretty much transferred to either the Bahamas, I guess, or uh, Las Vegas. It was gone. By the the middle of the 60s, gambling in Atlantic City was basically done. So what about when people talk about the, uh, what I guess is really the rebirth of gambling in the 70s when they uh, legalized casino gambling in Atlantic City and they started building the big hotels, and people say that that really destroyed or kept depressed, that depressed part of Atlantic City that's near the boardwalk but not on the boardwalk. In fact, when gambling existed in the 30s and before in a big, wide-open way, was Atlantic City proper, that part away from the boardwalk, 
very depressed, or was it a relatively vibrant place from your research? It was a vibrant place, except for portions of what we call the north side. The north side was the section of the community where African-Americans were consigned to live. You had some really excellent neighborhoods in that portion, then you had some really beat neighborhoods in that portion. But the rest of the town, yes, the housing and the businesses and the rest of the town were very prosperous right on up into the 60s. And then, and then like I said, the, the whole economy collapsed in the 60s. Um, I remember reading parts of your book where you talked about the labor force. You talked about the African-Americans who worked there and that they were largely uh, the people that worked in the casinos and worked in the industry. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's a chapter of African-American history that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, Atlantic City could not have been built and would not have survived without African American labor. Uh, And the reason for that is Philadelphia was was paying very good wages to white workers. And if you lived in southern New Jersey, uh, if you weren't a farmer or if you didn't have a profession, uh, if you didn't have your own business, then you could go go become a day laborer in Philadelphia and make a lot of money. And so if the hotels were to flourish, they needed affordable labor. And how they got that was by recruiting freed slaves and the children of freed slaves out of the Upper South and actually you know, sent pamphlets and recruiters and, and brought people to Atlantic City to run the hotels. From, from 1880 to 1930, more than 95% of the hotel workforce was African-American. So they, they built the town. There's no getting around it. And when, when did the black workforce and really, I guess, the large black population migrate out of Atlantic City? Because if you go there today, at least visibly, it's not a place that you'd think of as being particularly dominated by that ethnic group. So there must have been some shift or else maybe it is. And I just don't see it. Well, well, it, 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 it's it's the majority of the population in Atlantic City today is African-American. But the population itself has has declined substantially. The, the year-round population of Atlantic City is probably ha- <clears throat> half today of what it was 60 years ago. Wow. So, oh, yeah, that, what, yeah, that's correct. So at its peak, what was the population? The, the population at its peak was around 70,000. And today the population is a little over 35,000. You, you know, year-round people who live there. Now, hundreds of thousands of people come in each day, but when you talk about year-round population, you know, who, who's living there, you know, on the January 2nd, you know, who's there every night, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small population. Was Now, I also know of Atlantic City as a heavily organized, union-organized place from the uh, 60s, on, or at least from when the casino started there on. Construction is organized. Uh, public employees are was it unionized? Were these black workers unionized at all, or was that absolutely not going on back in before no, the 1950s? They were not. That, that absolutely was not going on. Uh, if, if hotel workers back in those days tried to unionize, they'd be fired and replaced with somebody else. Uh, unions didn't get any traction in Atlantic City in a big way uh, until the 60s. Interesting. Now, another thing that interests me as an historian, as an amateur historian, is that I know that the politics of New Jersey as a state, at least my impression of them, back in the teens and before in the 20s was that it was a relatively conservative state legislature. I know Woodrow Wilson came from there before he was president. Mm-hmm. What relationship was there with the state politicians, especially with Wilson and the local um, the guy that you mentioned, Nucky Johnson, what was their relationship like? It was bad. 
keep in, keep in mind, Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson was only uh, governor for two years. Ah, because when he ran for governor, he had a sight set on the White House. But in the two years that he was there, he did everything he could to make trouble for Atlantic City. Uh, Nucky's, Nucky's predecessor, a guy named the Commodore, Louis the Commodore Coonley, he went to jail because of an investigation that, that, uh, that Wilson had, had launched. Uh, so Nucky was only too happy to see Wilson go off to Washington. Well, did the legislature and the, the uh, governor's office kind of accept this as an exception to the general moral climate of the state, or was there money paid to state legislators to leave them alone? I I know that, for example, in the 70s, when casino gambling was legalized, it was legalized the way a red light district is legalized. It was legalized only in Atlantic City, like they got an island of vice. And I'm wondering if that was the case earlier or if it was just, uh, I I wonder what the relationship was like. Well, the, the relationship was sort of this way. Nucky Johnson had an incredible fortune of cash coming into his hands each year. So he threw parties not only in Atlantic City, but he threw parties in New York. He threw parties in Philadelphia. He wooed powerful people. It was nothing for him to take a, take a trainload full of people. And by trainload, I mean, you know, a couple hundred people to go see a World Series game, uh, to, to, to go see a Broadway play. Uh, and he would, he would invite people of power, people of influence, and he would entertain them. His income, the FBI estimates that his income throughout the 20s and the 30s was in excess of $600,000 a year in wow. cash, untaxed. So think of what that means in today's dollars and the type of people that you'd be able to influence with that kind of money and by, you know, by throwing them parties. Because Atlantic City was a great party town. He, he would have his limousine sent to pick people up and bring them to town to party. Wow. That's he interesting. Was, he, he was an enormous party person. I, Johnson was. And you're not talking about a political party. You're talking no, about no, a... <laughs> he, was, he, he was he was nominally he was nominally a Republican, but the the only philosophy he had was to keep the town prosperous and to make all the money off it that he could. Well, here's something that interests me. We had on as a guest a while back Stephen Fisher, who wrote a book about uh, when the mob ruled Vegas and how the the uh, mafia really controlled that city for many many years and how they did it and how they got money in and money out with the skim and everything. What's interesting to me is. I haven't heard you mention organized crime in Atlantic City. And how? tell us about the relationship of organized crime to Atlantic City and either how it was kept out or how it existed. It's an important one because in May of 1929, when Lucky Luciano was having his problems in New York and realized that he needed to form alliances with other people so that he, would, he could remain strong, he consulted with Meyer Lansky. And Meyer Lansky said, yeah, we should have a meeting. We should invite these people, and we should talk about this, and we should try to build alliances. But the one thing they didn't really debate was where will we have the meeting. And the meeting was held in Atlantic City in May of 1929, and that's where organized crime was born. And the reason they went to Atlantic City is because Nucky Johnson ran the kind of town they all wished that they could run, wide open, free from being hassled by, by law enforcement. And so he was he and Atlantic City were sort of hands off. And you didn't have organized crime, meaning the, the you know, serious Italian mafia organized crime didn't come to town until the 60s and the 70s with the Angelo Bruno family out of Philadelphia. Fascinating. Well, I'm, 
I'm very glad that you came on as a guest. This is a whole part of American history that I didn't know anything about. Shame on me, but now I do, and now my interest is really peaked, and I'm eager to eager to go back and read your book more thoroughly. Thank you for coming on, Nelson, and uh, let welcome. us know Thank when you write a sequel. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, that was Nelson Johnson, New Jersey historian, author of Boardwalk Empire. We'll be back after a brief commercial break. Listening to the House of Cards, the voice of gaming in New Jersey. Call or text the show at 609 474 4627. Are you or a loved one currently suffering from arthritis, COPD, or other chronic conditions and can't get relief from current treatments? If so, there may be another option. Local physicians are conducting research studies in your area today, and you may be eligible to receive up to $1,300 in compensation for participation. That's right. You may be eligible to receive up to $1,300 in compensation and study-related care from a local doctor at no cost. Health insurance not required. If you or a loved one have been diagnosed with arthritis, COPD, or other chronic conditions and are interested in learning more about these studies, please call toll-free 855-912-PAIN, 855-912-PAIN. These studies are confidential and are taking place for a limited time. We are looking to connect you to no-cost clinical research studies that are testing new treatments for a variety of conditions. Call 855-912-PAIN, 855-912-PAIN today to see if you qualify. Remember, health insurance is not required. Don't miss this opportunity. Call 855-912-7246. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16. 
at adamandeve.com. Come play for your chance to win a seat at the World Series of Poker main event. It's Poker for Life's ninth annual poker tournament, April 24th at the Tunnel in New York City. Poker for Life has already raised over $2 million for the Bonaconti Fund. Register online at PokerForLife.org before April 18th, and you'll have a chance for a $1,500 entry to a Borgata poker event. Again, that's Poker4Life.org. Poker for Life, April 24th at the Tunnel. Doors open at 6. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of April 21st, 2014. This week, the Borgata in Atlantic City filed a federal lawsuit against poker great Phil Ivey, alleging that Ivey cheated at high-stakes mini Baccarat in 2012. The casino alleges that Ivey manipulated the cards through a special manner of dealing that he requested, and that Ivey was assisted by someone who spoke Mandarin to the dealer. The Borgata is seeking $9.6 million. The Associated Press reports that Baseball Hall of Famer Brooks Robinson is seeking a $9.9 million settlement from the Seminole Indian Tribe. The 76-year-old Robinson was attending a charity event at the tribe's South Florida Casino when he fell 12 feet off a stage that had no back railing. Robinson's attorney said that the Baltimore Oriole great suffered head, back, and shoulder injuries, which required physical therapy and a limitation to his schedule. And finally, here's a sobering thought. Even though the Bellagio fountains shoot water 460 feet in the air every 15 minutes and the golf courses are continually manicured, scientists are saying that Las Vegas could be facing a water shortage. According to the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, Vegas's principal water supply, Lake Mead, is almost at its lowest level since it was created by the Hoover Dam in 1936. Not good news for a city in the desert. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. The key to winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments. Whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. You are more in need of a night in Atlantic City than any man I've ever met. I'd say sit down at a table, go for dinner, see a show, take a walk on the boardwalk and smell the salt air. But if you're anything like me, nothing after sit down at a table is going to happen. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And those of you out there who are familiar with HBO's series, Boardwalk Empire, might think that you know Nucky, but you don't. The guy who does is with us right now. His name is Frank J. Ferry. He has written a nonfiction account of Nucky Johnson, the boss of Atlantic City, and we're here to talk to him. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. A pleasure to be with you. Well, we're glad to have you. I'm going to ask you some pretty obvious questions, but I want to start off with the basics. Tell us why you wrote this book about Nucky Johnson. Well, I was fascinated with his life. When I was a federal prosecutor uh, in Camden, New Jersey, back in uh, 
the early 60s, I was given the file to look at, uh, his criminal file. And uh, at that time, I didn't intend to write a book, but I was fascinated with the intense investigation the department put to convict him. Uh, they had uh, two or 300 people subpoenaed before the grand jury in Camden. Uh, they couldn't any, get any cooperation from people. They all uh, were so uh, involved in Nucky's life and wanted to protect them. And eventually, of course, they did indict uh, some numbers uh, bankers, and they eventually did uh, convict them in that federal court in Camden. Well, let me ask you this. We'll get right to it. I have a whole bunch of questions. But why did they go after him with such fervor, and why did it take them so long? Well, it did take them long, uh, and one of the reasons, he was a very strong political leader. Uh, he not only locally, but he ran, for instance, uh, Walter Edge, who became uh, governor of New Jersey, uh, the Republican governor of New Jersey, uh, Nucky Shepard, his uh, career through the Assembly, the Senate, then to the United States, then to the governorship, then into the United States Senate. And he ran his campaign all the way through there and defeated some very strong Democratic leaders in North Jersey. Then he did the same thing with Hamilton Keene uh, of the Keene family, whose uh, ancestors was the former governor of New Jersey. Uh, he wanted to become... Uh, United States Senator, he came to Nucky, who had the great reputation at that time, back in 28. And he ran his campaign in the primary to defeat a former governor and a former United States Senator. And he defeated them, and uh, they had an investigation in the United States Senate, and I was able to get the transcript of that investigation, where Nucky testified and Hamilton Fish testified. And uh, it was amazing the, the ability he had to get people elected, because he dealt in cash. Uh, that was his key. Uh, he had a lot of gambling in Atlantic City uh, going on. And, of course, during Prohibition, uh, Atlantic City was one of the leading imports for illegal booze during that period of time. Now, and, people referred to Atlantic City during that time as a wide-open city. How wide open was it? What was it like in Atlantic City during Prohibition? Could you just go down the street openly and get booze, or did you have, were there speakeasies, were there whorehouses? What was it like? They had everything you just mentioned. Uh, they had uh, almost immunity from prosecution, because basically it was a new experiment in uh, the state. Um, Atlantic City always had gambling from its very inception, and, of course, when Prohibition came in, uh, Nucky was in power, and uh, they ignored it 100%. And uh, the, Nucky was part of what they called the Big Seven, Big Seven with uh, Lucky Luciano and that group from New York who imported the illegal booze into our country from Canada and the Caribbean. And the Coast Guards at that time um, weren't too anxious to arrest anybody. Why is that? Well, the law was very unpopular because uh, people didn't uh, obey it at all, not only in Atlantic City, but throughout the country. There were speakeasies all over the country. And the Coast Guards were entirely uh, inadequate to, uh, to uh, control the situation. I see. So here's a question about Nucky. Those who just watch the TV show probably have him pegged as a big-time mobster. But in your text, you make him out to be more like a political machine boss. 
Uh, how would you describe what he was really like? Well, he's more of a saint than a sinner. That's the best description I can give of him. Uh, you talk to local people, and I talked to a lot of them that knew Nucky, and he would help people. If you needed cold during the wintertime, he'd have cold delivered to your house. If you're out of work, he'd get you a job. Uh, that was days before there was welfare, any assistance like that. Uh, he would pay medical bills, funeral bills. And uh, the people, wherever he went, he was very, very popular. But, you know, some people say the same thing about Al Capone in Chicago, that he did all these wonderful things. He was philanthropic. He took care of people. He sent baskets of food to poor people, took care of widows and orphans. But he was also a murderer. Was Nucky a murderer? Did he condone murder? No, he never got involved in that uh, aspect of his uh, career. Uh, there was very little crime in Atlantic City during that period of time. People get the impression Nucky was the only one here that was uh, doing things. And along the beachfront, we had all those grand hotels run by Quaker families where you couldn't even get a drink. And people would come down here for the Easter parade. The boardwalk would be crowded with people from all walks of life, all well-dressed and there would be fashionable uh, events throughout the community. There was yacht clubs, fishing clubs, and all these other activities. And Nucky was only a part of the, the scene of Atlantic City. For a lot of people, he was everything. But for most people, they didn't come down here to gamble. They came down for the boardwalk, for the beach. And, of course, the Miss America pageant was uh, a part of Atlantic City starting in 1921. So what was the beginning of the end, and what was the final end of Atlantic City as a wide-open town? Well, I think uh, after Nucky went to jail uh, in 1941, uh, that was the end of the wide-open gambling, because then at that point, uh, Senator Farley became the Republican leader, and that's who I practiced law with, uh, with, with Senator Farley. And he's the one that asked me to go see Nucky back in the uh, 1965 to uh, assist him. The government was now pressing him for the fine he never paid back in 1941 and some other uh, bills he didn't pay the government. And I met Nucky, spent time with him, and represented him the last four years. And uh, we were able to have the government stop pressing on the fine because I knew the U.S. attorney up there uh, in uh, Newark, who was a very nice guy, and uh, he understood the situation, that uh, Nucky was high-profile, and uh, he was the type of person they pursued relentlessly, especially when another party came into power. Okay. Tell our listeners a couple or three things about Nucky Johnson that you think they would be surprised to learn. Well, I think uh, how thoughtful he was of people. Uh, I have a whole series of letters that he would write to different people, uh, expressing appreciation for what they did for him. Uh, there was one letter I saw that uh, he furbished an entire old age home for the colored people in Atlantic City. Uh, and uh, he would do things like that without any hesitation. And an extremely generous uh, man in uh, so many ways, very caring person. What did he think about? legalized gambling about uh, the re possible return. I realize it didn't happen in his lifetime, but the possible return of gambling to Atlantic City. 
Well, he was interviewed every year on his birthday uh, by the press, and I have those interviews. And he talked about that long before uh, gambling came in in 78. And he said it would be a great thing for the resort, uh, uh, that it would make the resort see, uh, a very popular place. And, see, he was responsible for the building of the convention hall, too. And that's uh, one of his crowning achievements. Uh, he put together uh, the, uh, the uh, group that actually built it. And he had uh, the mayor Bader at that time was the mayor, and he convinced him to go along with it. And they built the convention hall. He had a referendum uh, passed by the city uh, voters, and uh, he got the bonding approval. Uh, through North Jersey, the politicians, and they built a convention hall, which brought a lot of income to Atlantic City and became the home of Miss America Pageant for many, many years. I see. You said that he was more a saint than a sinner, but did he have any personal vices that you can share with us? I mean, was he a womanizer? Was he a drinker? Was he a gambler? <laughs> I think he did all that. When he, uh, his first marriage, uh, he married a girl named Mabel Jeffries, and uh, it only lasted six years, and she died, uh, unfortunately, for tuberculosis, which was very prevalent at that time. And that's when people told me that uh, he did start drinking uh, very heavily at that period of time. And uh, he would go out for the night, uh, stay out most of the night. And he uh, he was also Laney County Treasurer. And uh, he wouldn't go to the Treasurer's office that much, but he would go to the Iowa and the boardwalk. Uh, he had a cottage there at the boardwalk, and uh, he would meet people there, especially the precinct captains, people that wanted favors, and that was like his custom after uh, going there. And uh, he went with a girl named Floss for many, many years, Floss, uh, and he, he married her the day before he went to prison, and she was able to then visit him in prison, and when she got when he got out of prison, they stayed together the rest of their life. They were very devoted to each other. Huh. Uh, listeners, for those who haven't been listening since the beginning of this interview, we're talking to Frank J. Ferry, who is the biographer of the true story of Nucky Johnson. Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you, have you watched Boardwalk Empire? And if you have, what do you think of it? I watched the first chapter, and I thought it was going to be a, a history of Atlantic City and the true Nucky Johnson story. Then when I saw the, the fellow that played Nucky Johnson, uh, I was <laughs> a little guy. A little guy. Nucky was about six foot two, a booming voice, uh, about two hundred twenty pounds. And uh, I said, "Well, that's not Nucky Johnson's story." I can see that right away. Then there was a lot of violence and that sort of thing. And, and it wasn't the type of show that I think portrayed Atlantic City in a good light. But Atlantic, a lot of people liked the show. There's no question about it. Did anybody from the show ever ask you to consult with them about what Nucky Johnson was really like? No, because they didn't need any consultants. They made up the stories they went along. Uh, they There was a book written called Boardwalk Empire by a local attorney, and it was actually the history of Atlantic City from uh, the early days up till Donald Trump's days. And in there he had about 55 pages on Nucky Johnson. And they took that title, Boardwalk Empire, and used that as the, as the theme for their HBO series, which was a great title. Right. Well, we had him on this show. But what they've done is they've really kind of made it more like the Sopranos go to Atlantic City than the true history of Nucky Johnson, right? Right. Yeah, actually, the writer for the Sopranos is the one who wrote for HBO, HBO uh, Boardwalk series. 
Well, maybe you can pitch uh, this to the Discovery Channel or the History Channel. Have you had any conversations with any uh, filmmakers or TV producers? Uh, some have uh, made inquiries, but nothing uh, of any substance came about out of it. Um, it'd be a good story to get out because there's so many. See, what I try to do is go back to get primary sources, uh, like the FBI records, internal revenue records, the actual transcript of his trial. Uh, he sued David Niven in the Saturday Evening Post, and I got those depositions. Why did he sue David Niven, the famous actor, British actor? Uh, what happened after Nucky was out of prison in 1958, uh, the Saturday Evening Post came out with an article uh, featuring David uh, Niven's in his early years. And David Niven claims he had a rodeo show that came to the convention hall in Atlantic City uh, with uh, jockeys and cowboys and and the road, the show uh, was interrupted by Nucky Johnson trying to take over the beer concession, popcorn concession, and unless they agreed to it, they closed the show. Well, when Nucky saw that, he knew it was false, and Nucky didn't deal in that kind of you know minor things. That was in the height of his power. So he sued him, and he was successful. Uh, they had depositions of Nucky, which I have. They took David Niven's position over in Italy, which he admits, frankly, I thought it was Nucky Johnson. I see. And, so he blamed Nucky Johnson for an incident that actually occurred, but it wasn't really Nucky. It was somebody else horning in on the action out of the controller right. direction. I see. Very interesting. Did, right. did uh, Niven end up paying a large amount of money, or was it settled without money, or what happened? Yeah, it, what, what happened, um, the reporter who wrote the article didn't try to interview Nucky Johnson. So that, that, you know, that's a violation of fundamental journalism, not to try to get the other side of the story. Then his attorney applied to the court not to, not to allow any testimony of Nucky's conviction before the jury. So there the Saturday Post was sitting there by themselves with a reporter uncorroborated story, and they settled. And it was quite a substantial sum and uh, was never disclosed, but the money didn't go to Nucky, and everything went to his wife because she was part of the uh, uh, lawsuit. I see. And uh, that way he protected that sum from uh, IRS and federal government. So, But he lived comfortably after that. So, again, we're talking to Frank J. Ferry, who's written the biography, the real story of the Atlantic City boardwalk boss, Nucky Johnson. How do our listeners get a hold of this book if they want it, and uh, where can they go? Well, it's on Amazon, or if they contact our office. But most people want an autographed copy, but we'd be glad to mail it out to them. If they want to call, they can call our number, 609, area code 822-1400. be glad to take their order and ship it out to them and personalize it for them. 609-822-1400. Do you have a website? We're building one right now. <laughs> okay. So in the meantime, the old-fashioned way, call 609-822-1400. Out of town, call collect. No, 609-822. I don't think people say that anymore. 822-1400. It's but, in a lot of local uh, stores and, uh, and the visitor center, and uh, it's in Caesars and resorts and places like that. Fantastic. By the way, do you gamble? No, I don't. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. Now, I worked at the track when it first opened. I lost all my money the first day betting on the horses and never gambled since. Well, you learned your lesson much better <laughs> than great. some people. Well, maybe I'll have to teach you poker when I come down to it. Do you live in Atlantic City? Yeah, I was born and raised there. I live offshore now. Ah, great. Well, 
Frank, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I wish you very well with this book. And I think you have another book that you're working on, right? I'm working on Senator Farley's book. He was a dominant political figure for 30-some years in New Jersey. Uh, he was president of the Senate, acting governor about five times, uh, delegate to about five conventions, and uh, dean of the Senate. Yes, that was Hap, Hap Farley. What did right. Hap stand for? That was Happy. That was his uh, nickname from high school. I see, like Happy Chandler, uh, right. baseball mm-hmm. commissioner. Very good. Well, again, Frank... Uh, the book is Nucky, the real story of the Atlantic City boardwalk, boardwalk boss. And uh, you've been a great guest. I appreciate you coming on. Well, it was very nice talking to you, and I appreciate your interest in the real Nucky Johnson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Take care. Listeners, we're going to be right back after a quick break. Hey, this is Dave from House of Cards, and I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about Jersey Man Magazine. Whether you're born and bred in Jersey like me, or even from Jersey but live somewhere else, Jersey Man is the perfect magazine for you. Health issues, state business news, sports, food, you name it, Jersey Man talks about it in a fun and informative way. They even host their own networking events where you can meet and greet other community members and professionals. With contributors like Bill Lyon, Stan Hockman, and George Anastasia with his own mob scene column, Jersey Man covers our region like no one else. Check out their website, jerseymanmagazine.com, for more information and some really cool Jersey Man merchandise. Jersey Man's available at most major newsstands, and you can even subscribe online. That's jerseymanmagazine.com. Jersey Man Magazine. Hey, if you're from Jersey, it's the only magazine you'll ever need. Are you still shopping the old-fashioned way? Well, then buzz on over to bzid.com. Bzid is your number one online auction source for brand-name new items from companies like Apple, Sony, Canon, Dyson, Samsung, and more at discounts of 75 85 and 99% off retail. Go to bzid.com and use the offer code VIP and get three bids for the price of one. That's offer code VIP to get three bids for the price of one. Go to bzid.com, B-E-E-Z-I-D.com, bzid.com. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guest strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com dot com slash HOC radio. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com.
Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash pulled. You're a poker player. A poker player. That's beyond white trash. Poker players are the most awesome people in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007. Welcome back, listeners. This is House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. And before we end, I just want to remind all our listeners that we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, about maybe guests that you'd like us to have on. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. We're very interested in them. We'll put them on the air and answer them here. So that will do it for the show. Come back next week for more House of Cards. Good night and good luck. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.